having that reason to kind of get out of bed and feel happy about how you're getting out of bed each day is that we're kind of balancing out that purpose between our inner inner self and our outer self. I mean, I kind of come back to this point that I think not everyone, but I think a lot of us have probably leaned very heavily on the outer self to set purpose and direction for a long time. Retirement. That's what we're all aiming at, right? But exactly what does that mean? It conjures up visions of endless days of golf, drinks with little umbrellas in them on a tropical beach, feet up, reading a book. Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. Life would get pretty dull after a while without anything meaningful to do, don't you think? I'm Jackie Doucette, and I'm on a mission to discover exactly what life is like beyond retirement. Join me while I chat with people who've already done it, who've retired to something rather than from something. Let's find out together exactly what's waiting for us when we say goodbye to that nine to five. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Retirement. Today, I'm joined by Olympic gold medalist Joe Jacoby, who is also a performance coach and an author. Joe, thanks for joining me today. Jackie, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. So usually I start the show by asking my guests to talk a little bit about themselves, where they where they came from, what they're doing, how they got where they are now. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, as um, uh, where, where to start? So um, I am talking to you today from my home in La Seu d'Urge, which is a town of 12,000 people in the Spanish state of Catalonia. And there is a big window next to me. And just about 50 meters outside of my window is the 1992 Olympic canoeing venue where my doubles canoe partner, Scott Strasbaugh, and I won a gold medal at the Olympic Games in 1992, which was America's first ever Olympic gold medal in whitewater canoeing. And I, you know, my, my canoe partner and I spent a, a lot of time here preparing for the Olympic Games, but a lot of that preparation, it wasn't really just for the race. It was really uh, aligning with and becoming a part of the culture and the community here in this Pyrenees mountain town. And that was just the most amazing part of the Olympic experience. So many years later, and that was about five and a half years ago, when I had the opportunity to make a quality of life change, to create a quality of life adventure, uh, in my very late 40s, um, I jumped at it. And I now live in La Seo d'Urge. Uh, I learned to speak Catalan. I do all of my, my work as a performance coach uh, virtually online. Um, and that is about me. I love to write. I love to create. Um, I focus on uh, deep and meaningful connections with the people I care about most. And that's my life. Wow. Sounds like you're definitely living the dream for most of us. Um, you know, it's a pretty, it's a process. It, I just think it's, it's a process for everyone. And I think a lot about process and systems and environments. And uh, I think a lot about 
especially right now about this transition between the first half of life and the second half of life, you know, and what does that mean? Um, and I think part of that, Jackie, I don't know if I think so much about, I, I do think a little bit about the dream in terms of like what I'd like to have and, or what I would like to do, but I also have put a lot of time into um, putting some meaning and context into what led me to here, because not all of that is so pretty. Not all of that is so nice. Like I wouldn't trade the first half of life for anything, but oh my gosh, like there was a lot of going back and making some sense of and finding some meaning in, and that's not always a comfortable process, but I think if we're willing to do that, I think it opens up incredible and beautiful transitions in these second half, uh, these chapters that exist in the second half of life. Yeah, I think so too. And that's, I guess that that's to be expected. You know, you're not going to, or very few people are going to have a nice, easy life all the way along where they, they flow from one thing into another very simply. There's going to be some challenges as they transition from one stage to another. And I know you do a lot of work with people um, to help them get through those transitions and, and, you know, surmount the obstacles that are in their life. And I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about how, how you might help people adjust to the transitions in the later part of their, their life to make it, you know, the, the life that they want. So, yeah, I would love to do that. And Jackie, I think where I might start on this is that um, I, um, about eight or nine years ago, I started to write uh, a weekly article, a Sunday morning blog called Sunday Morning Joe. And it didn't, it had a lot of flavor of performing well in life. But about a year ago, I wrote an article to, and I just said about, a, you know, it's about a thousand people sign up or subscribe to Sunday Morning Joe. And I said, look, there's a topic I'm really interested about. It's really ask, it's kind of predicated on the question is what does it mean to fully engage with the second half of life? I said, I have a lot more questions than answers, but this is where I'd like to focus my energy. It's a, it's kind of selfish, but I also think it's interesting. So if this isn't your thing, this is a great time to jump off the bandwagon and unsubscribe. And you probably know what I'm going to say next. It's kind of the opposite happened. No one unsubscribed and people wanted to talk more about it. And as I wrote about this process and just my own experiences, um, you know, I just started to think about not only the unique transitions, but also what, what do I bring that might be a, just a slightly different way of looking at it or working through this transition. So it's like acknowledge first is to acknowledge that it is a big transition. Like I, think it's very easy to see it's there. I also think it's very easy to not want to do anything about it because change is hard. Working through um, making sense of uh, choices that maybe you're not especially proud of or maybe working with the fact that we've suppressed our inner voice for a lot of years before finally listening to it. It's hard. Not everyone wants to do it, but presuming people are interested in um, making the most of that transition, I started to ask the question, what if we paired that with some of the um, core principles of high performance, of peak performance in sport? 
And I just sort of took some of those basic ideas and basic principles of what I had been practicing and, and, and kind of overlaid it with this transition. And that is kind of became just a point for me to reflect, to ask questions and to learn more. Because I think the one thing you won't really hear me do is like, there's not one right way to do it. You and I can't do this work for someone else. I mean, people literally have to raise their hand and say, I want to work on this. I want to, you know, um, I would, I want to see a, a future, a potential where my peak performance days exist ahead of me, not behind me. And I know it's possible. I know it's doable because it, this process allows us maybe for the first time in our life, the first time in our life to define what peak performance is, not have someone else define it for us. And that was going to be my next question, actually. I think a, a lot of people, ordinary, everyday people, might shy away from the idea of peak performance without thinking about what it actually means to them. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're you know, at the pinnacle of life. It means you're at the pinnacle of your life. Oh, I, I, I love that. I, maybe we can sort of dive a little deeper into this idea about sure. what is peak performance, because I think it's really easy to turn on the television, to be watching the very best athletes in the world. And we're thinking, oh my gosh, they're so gritty and they're so resilient and they dig deeper and it's tougher. To me, that's not really the essence of peak performance. Like, I think it's a lot more in the area of focus, uh, consistency, uh, having purpose in what you do, uh, a course, co course correcting, you know, how we fix mistakes. Um, they're very doable concepts. It's really just our willingness to act on them consistently. And I think it's sort of accepting a mindset of learning and growth, not a fixed mindset, but a, a growth mindset. And I think part of doing that, I think sort of two little uh, points of high performance that we don't hear about very often, but I believe are a big part of the equation. Uh, if we want to learn better, I think two things paired together that work really nicely is practicing gratitude together with that ability to be a little bit kinder and gentler with ourselves. We put those two things together, gratitude and self-kindness, you really open up the door for being a little bit easier on yourself. You're grateful for what you have, which then in turn, I think opens almost like builds a pathway for being more consistent, more focused, being a better learner and really executing on some of those elements of peak performance, no matter what the activity is. So all of a sudden it's not about being like, you know, an Olympic gold medalist or performing at that level, but it's really whatever you really want to apply that to at this stage of life, whether that's connecting with people, whether that's creativity, um, whether it's your health, there's a lot of things that we can do with this, this, uh, when we look at peak performance in this way, or sort of what I call midlife peak performance. <laughs> and I think that's great because it gives people the, the chance or the, uh, the upper, yeah, the opportunity to step back a little bit and say, okay, what what can I do? What what am I willing to try to do today, or what am I willing to try to do this week? And to not beat themselves up if they don't make it 
all the way to the end at that goal. They can be grateful for how far they got. They can, you know, step up and start the goal from the new position the next day. And, and, you know, one of those things that I've talked about with a few guests before are the, you know, the little wins, the, you know, the things like um, James Clear and Atomic Habits and um, Darren Hardy with the compound effect. It's, it's all the little things compounded that you do over and over that make the difference. And if people can, just kind of remember that each day you're starting from a new spot, you're not back there anymore. You're, you're always moving forward. I, I love that. But when, in, when I ever hear uh, Atomic Habits mentioned, you know, I always love sharing my favorite quote from the book or favorite expression, which is uh, consistency over intensity. You know, and I think that, it, you know, we live in a world where we can, anyone of any age can scroll, scroll social media and make it, it looks like the extremes are the new normal. And it's just not the case. You know, I mean, when we witness someone do something incredible or extreme on social media, we're seeing like the five second clip of what worked. We're not seeing the hours of pain, painstakingly, you know, idiotic mistakes and crashes and falls they made before that just to be able to post that one five second video. And, you know, I think at the root of that idea of consistency over um, intensity is, you know, there's a trust in the process that, you know, we've used it at other parts in our life. I think a lot of this is just learning how to tune into our own voice, trusting that, and how to get better at sort of tuning out the noise that exists elsewhere. Like, I think that that's a big part of this, of this process. It's not, it's not easy. It's simple, but not easy. You know, it's one of the, it's one of those ideals is it's simple to think about obvious, but it's not necessarily easy to do. Tuning out all the noise is not easy to do. It's so counterintuitive uh, to think that these little steps are making a difference, but it's about trusting the process and the idea that, you know, find listening to our own voice, not the voices of others. That's the part that I think is, it's a simple concept, but it's not easy to do simple, but not easy. And, but if we can just sort of give ourselves the space to experience, experiment with that. And I know that we're always looking for kind of the big, like, if I do a small step, like how did it make me feel? What's the result that seems better today? That I think we just have to trust a little bit that when we try something new, when we're trying to establish a new habit to uh, or, or learn a new skill, a big part of it is we're just trying to teach our, our mind and our body how to speak to each other about this and sort of say, oh, something's changing here. You know, we're working on something. That's the part of the process that I'm working on trusting. Um, and when I'm sort of setting the bar really, really low with lots of small steps forward every day. And I think, and that's so true. It's, it's hard to see the, the progress when it's small. And you know, a lot of people get frustrated when they don't see that progress, but that, you know, it goes back to the, the small changes, the, the consistency that you talk about, you know, that, that curve that's going to eventually take you up to the top. If you can just hold on to the little changes each day and keep moving forward, that, you know, that's going to make the difference, I think. I, 
I think one of it, Jackie, I think one of the things I'll just, you know, add on to that is, you know, is are there ways we can teach ourselves how to appreciate the small steps a little bit more? And one way, I think there are a lot of ways to do it. One way I like to do, do this is I like to talk about getting outside and getting out into nature. When I say getting out into nature, I don't mean going out into a national park or a remote area in the middle of nowhere, like, but it can be a local park. It can be a little trail. It can be a fallen leaf on a sidewalk. But I think when we start to notice the little small details about nature, I think that is a way of learning how to appreciate the little things, the small details. And I think if we make a practice of doing that, then it becomes a little bit easier when we start to want to work on a skill or develop a habit. That's where I think uh, one way that we can actually work on appreciating the little things by spending a little bit more time outdoors and in nature. And I think what that does, what you're, what you're suggesting, I think is the idea of just being, being present in the moment, wherever you happen to be so that you're paying attention to, you know, everything that's going on. Absolutely. Love that. I love that. I mentioned in your, in the intro that you're an author and you wrote a book called Slalom. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Can you talk a little bit about what's in the book and who your target audience is for that book? Yeah, both are, 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 are good questions. Um, and so I started canoeing when I was, um, I, I was eight years old at summer camp. I was 10 years old before I liked it. And when I was 12, I got hooked in, I guess you could say, to one of the greatest training groups in the history of our sport, whitewater canoe slalom. And I didn't get hooked into that group because like I was especially good. I just got hooked into that group because I (laughs) showed up every day and I liked them. They were nice people and they welcomed me, but the book kind of encompasses these 40 plus years, more than four decades of paddling rivers, navigating whitewater river rapids and transferring those skills to navigating the river of life. So I use the river as a metaphor and an analogy. And yeah, I figured out at a pretty young age that the river was teaching me. I mean, I I always cite the river as being my best life coach. I think there are just very fundamental, um, sound, scientific, and mathematic, you know, equations and reasons that rivers do what they do that I think are often very applicable to life. Like I know people love talking in sports analogies and I think basketball and football are great sports, but you know what I don't believe about those analogies in life is that when things are going bad, you don't get to just call timeout. And like on the river, (laughs) you don't get to just make the river stop and go take a rest. You know, the river keeps moving. And like life, it keeps moving. And there are ways to take rest and take break, but you don't get to stop the river. And, you know, there were just these lessons about the river. And I've been just tracking them for a long time. Even after having success at the Olympics, I had a coach tell me that he said, listen, if you want to do public speaking, especially about your lessons learned from your Olympic success, you should 
think about this. Uh, it's going to be a very short window in which people are actually interested in what you did at the Olympic Games. And it's going to be a much longer, bigger window of how what you did at the Olympic Games can be helpful to other people. So the quicker that you can transfer those lessons learned to really help people and meet them where they are, you'll do this as long as they want. So I've been kind of tracking these stories for years and I put them together in this book and I lay them out into uh, like six river classes because a river has six classes of rapids. And it's a really nice way. And the last thing I'll say about the book, uh, Jackie, is that when you start to read it, you'll, you'll see it's not really about my canoe partner and me. It's really about you and your journey with the river. We're kind of like guides in the story, but you're, you're the hero. You're the one navigating the river. And I think from that standpoint, that's what I'm probably most proud of about the book, the way it came out. Like I just... I'm not really someone to say, hey, this is how you should live. I'm just trying to put information, models, uh, environments, mindsets out there in a way that people can say, oh, that's a great way to see, um, get a perspective on what I'm doing, or that's a great way of looking at it at, at an obstacle that I'm facing. So like, I love talking about rocks in the river. And applying those to sort of rocks as obstacles in the middle, middle of our river of life. I could talk about this, this kind of thing for hours, but I, I think it's a very visual and a very feeling kind of a kinesthetic way of feeling our perspective and how we're thinking about the way we think. So it's good for, or it's good for, it's aimed at anybody then, anybody who's trying to traverse life. Yeah. I, at the time I wrote it, I would say that. And now what I would say is that because I'm, I've focused my, uh, my attention on a more narrow group of people and people working through these midlife transitions, I think the book is great for that. Like, I think it's very, I mean, this, the transition of first to second to half to life first to second half of life is a very deep reflection. And I think, absorbing, reading, content, conversation, and reflection that helps you think about these things a little bit more deeply and how you go about it. It's not a map for doing that. I just think it helps put people in a good disposition for thinking about how they're thinking about things and what they're capable of doing. Okay. So I'll know that the uh, link to that is in the show notes so people can go and take a look, even if they're not thinking about traversing any rivers in the next little while, maybe they're, they've got a few obstacles that uh, it'll help them through. Well, I, I will say one thing. Um, this activity, paddling on rivers, is not a bad activity when we talk about retirement either. Like there's actually a lot of good things that I think come along with it. Like this is not like a full-on, you know, class six adventure mode. What I think is neat about Whitewater and I think really appeals to me because I'm still active in the sport and I'm active about, in a way, I think about it, how people are learning it. And by the way, my partner, Maria, who is this, about the same age as me, she had never paddled before, learned to paddle in her 50s. We paddle a doubles canoe together and why I think it's a good activity to be thinking about in this chapter of life is that we get to tap into an amazing source of energy, the flow of the river. 
So we're not just dependent upon our own strength, but we're really thinking about how we align with the strength of something bigger, stronger than us. That is something that's like um, a kind of wisdom, a, a, a kind of uh, just a level of awareness that I think we in a latter chapter of life can probably uh, uh, attend to better than someone in their 20s or 30s that just wants to beat the river and fight the current and, you know, be the hero out on the water. I think when we sort of give ourselves into the current, oh my gosh, we can do so much more with it. So I even think as a, literally as an activity to do, it's pretty good. <laughs> But you're not biased. <laughs> no, I'm not. But I, I, I do think, you know, there are a number of gravity sports. You know, I, I think about, I really do think about this a lot. You know, what are the right ways to kind of keep the mind and body engaged at different stages of our life? We're not going to do everything forever. I'm not thinking about doing my sport forever either. But I do believe that, um, if we can, if you find the right sports that do what I was talking about, like tapping into larger energy forces, gravity sports, but also the cost of making a mistake is not as physically risky as some other sports. So like two examples, you have whitewater kayaking and you have snowboarding, you know, if you fall over in a kayak, you're falling into water. You know, I don't, you know, there's things to learn. There's elements of safety to learn in doing that, but you're falling into water, which I think is different than falling into hard packed snow. You know, I think that can have a different effect literally on our bodies and our framework. I'm not saying don't try snowboarding and just try kayaking, but I do think about these things. Um, I think staying healthy is the best way to enjoy retirement. Retirement. If we put our body, mind, and spirit in a good position to stay healthy, that's going to create the best disposition for us to show up day to day, try new things, learn new things, and make the most of the chapter that we we're currently in. I was going to ask you for a piece of advice. And I think you just gave that to me. <laughs> I think, I think that, uh, you know, I don't, it's interesting while I'm doing an activity, like I'm not thinking about injury avoidance, but I do think about it when I'm planning, you know, when I'm thinking about planning out the year, planning out the three years, um, thinking about what do I want, especially out of mo physical movement and sport activity. Um, you know, part of, I, I have big motivations to stay healthy, you know, as does Maria it's not to compete in the canoe or kayak. You know, if I talk about kayaking relative to our, the adventures that we do out in the ocean, out in the sea, the main reason we want to stay healthy and be able to do the activity for a long time, it's just to see beautiful things on the water. Maybe even one day, like how cool would it be to see a whale from a kayak? Like I know there's risk in doing that, but you know, our best chances of doing that is by maintaining a healthy disposition, which gives me a lot of motivation and purpose and reason to get out of bed and sort of execute a certain way uh, every day. And the longer that I can do those kinds of things and sustain those activities, like that would be great. But I am being thoughtful about how to not 
get, you know, how to choose activities that are going to lower the likelihood that I'm injured or have to recover from injury. And I do think those, that's, that's really wise words. And as we get started with anything, that's the main reason to take something slow and start slow, learn the movements, right. And put your body, mind, and spirit in the best position possible to learn and grow and, and, and acquire new skills and experiences. And I think that those words or that advice holds true for learning anything. It doesn't have to be something completely physical. You can, you know, do the same, follow the same path with anything that you're learning. Uh, creativity. Absolutely. You know, I, I've, I think developing as, as a writer is something that I continue to do and want to do more, more of. And, and, you know, there's an inner game in there, there, you know, there's a very, um, when I say the inner game, you know, the, the, the mental side of the game, I think is, yeah. uh, there's a lot of rest kind of inner wrestling and inner peacemaking that goes along with that. And you're right. Like it's still, I, I it's still a process. It's still a journey. But, um, and then I, I think it's really fun to sort of pair some of those, those parts together, like trying to have elements of health and wellness that I'm pursuing and kind of matching that with doing uh, creative pursuits at the same time. So, you know, as I spend time outside and moving in nature, yeah, I, fig- I seem to kind of work out ideas in writing and topics to write about or maybe something that I've really been tripping upon or stumbling upon for a long time. That usually doesn't happen by just sitting in front of the screen and writing. It often happens by getting just moving outside in in nature and letting go and noticing those little small things about nature. And you open yourself to new, um, to new ideas and new opportunities and, and new ways to change. So I think from what you've been saying, the, uh, the best way to, in your, in your opinion, to move forward through this, you know, into our second part of our life is to recognize the challenges, um, look for ways to traverse the obstacles that are there. Love it. Get out, get out in nature, pay attention to what's going on around you, learn from the mistakes you made, you know, and just kind of keep moving forward every day. It's a beautiful summary. You, you, you do a great job with this. I think that'll be uh, a wonderful way to kind of encapsulate the, the conversation. Maybe if, if you would be okay with it, if I, I, I just would share one last piece that I, I, I find myself coming back to, and I'd actually love to ask you about this as well and hear your thoughts on it, is about how, you know the sense of purpose and what... I'm just curious, Jackie, like what is the role of purpose play in your life uh, on a day-to-day basis at this chapter of your life? I think purpose is the, the most important thing. It, you, you've got to figure out what it is that's driving you, what's getting you out of bed every morning so that when your feet hit the floor, you're happy, you're ready to start the day. It doesn't have to be some grand purpose. It's just got to be something that means something to you so that you'll keep going. I, I love that. You know, I've, I've also arrived at the same conclusion. Like I think that is the starting point. And 
as someone who hasn't always been so good with purpose, I, you know, I kind of thought if I wrote it down, like I was married to that purpose and like, that was it. And um, it's taken a while to get here. And also I've given some thought about like what it means to think about purpose in latter chapters of our life compared to the earlier ones. And the, one of the kind of the feelings that I've come across is that what helps me to do what you just said about like having that reason to kind of get out of bed and feel happy about how you're getting out of bed each day is that we're kind of balancing out that purpose between our inner, inner self and our outer self. I mean, I kind of come back to this point that I think not everyone, but I think a lot of us have probably leaned very heavily on the outer self to set purpose and direction for a long time. And I think learning how to really give inner voice and our inner self a say in developing that purpose, that to me was a huge change and how I engaged with creating that. So that, that, that was a big, that was just something uh, that I landed on. I don't know if that, if you've thought about that relative to how purpose has evolved in your life and sort of how it sits with you maybe today versus like in some earlier chapters in your life. Oh, for sure. I mean, in, in earlier life, your purpose, you know, as a, as a young adult, your purpose is graduating from university, for example, it's a very external marker that, you know, that's, that's set in front of you and then succeeding in your career, whatever right. that might be, you know, having a good, you know, having a healthy family, those are all very external things. And I think as, as we age, those things have either been met or not, but we start to turn into ourselves because we're kind of questioning who we are and what we're meant to do. And that's where, you know, thinking, you know, being more thoughtful about what it is you're trying to achieve makes all the difference because it's it's who you are inside and what you're striving for that's going to ultimately make you happy. This is the part of the conversation I've just come to love where I think the beauty of it really exists. Uh, I just think, you know, if I even think back to my belief about, you know, fully engaging with life and, and even thinking about fully engaging when I was younger with sport, you know, as an athlete, I think at this stage of life, it's exactly what you just talked about. I think how we really open up those uh, pathways so that we can really start to give um, some space, some amplification to that inner voice and inner self. I think it's, it's really easy to avoid doing. I think, you know, you never know what that process is going to bring up for, 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 for people. So I always like to say it, it may not be the happiest work you'll ever do, but I do think it is arguably some of the most meaningful work you, you'll, you'll ever do. Yeah. I think it'll probably be not only not the happiest, it's going to be the hardest. Uh, exactly. To do. I mean, it's like, we like, we've liked what the, you know, having a more maybe externally driven purpose has brought to us. Like it's brought to us a lot of good things and there's plenty of space to acknowledge that we're not shutting it down, but we are, I think the idea of trying to find more equi you know, more balance, more equilibrium in the purpose process uh, is, 
phenomenal. Like I, I, I think it's just, it's harder to do at a younger age. And I think when you acknowledge it for the reasons that you spoke about, you know, finding your people, finding your place in the world, you know, it's, there's your identity. Um, yeah. now we really have a chance to do, do something uh, different. Not everyone is up for that challenge. That's the thing, you know, I, uh, people ask like, oh, when do you notice people starting to go through this? Well, people can start to pay attention to this pretty early on in their life. Some people can get to 80 and just say, no, thank you. I'm not interested in going there. And it's not, it's not a judgmental thing. It's just acknowledging, like you said, it's, it's not easy. It's change. It's hard. Yeah. And it's okay to just say, I'm happy just being me and, you know, kind of float through your life. That, that's okay too. It, it, it is what you and I are talking about right now. What I, my hope is, is people are listening that it just offers some reflection to how you're already thinking about it. These aren't like rules for how to think about it, but just to kind of help put some context on how you're thinking about what's best for you. And, uh, I, that's what I really appreciate about these kind of podcasts like uh, you have and the kind of conversations that you and I are having today. Well, Joe, thank you so much for spending some time with me. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure that the listeners have gotten a lot out of it, even, even if they're not whitewater canoers or kayakers. Or, so, there's <laughs> there's still a, lot time, of, a lot of food for there's thought. still time, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I'll make sure that uh, your um, blog page is on in the show notes, the Sunday Morning Joe. Thank you. And your book. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners? Well, listen, as long as my contact information is in the show notes, that's great. Um, of course, if people want to find me on LinkedIn. I, I do post a lot there, but I love meeting people. I love hearing their stories. And um, so I think if people feel any uh, desire to want to follow up uh, from today's conversation and uh, whether that's directly with you, Jackie, or with me or with both of us, uh, I'd love that. You know, I, I think it's just great to learn about where people are. I know that these are all choices that we have to make for ourselves. We have to do it ourselves, but you don't have to be alone also. Like there are other people going through this. And I think as we talk about it more and share the experiences it really adds some nice context for people and allows them to make decisions and choices that are best for them. So thank you for the opportunity yeah. today. I really enjoyed this. And that's it for this episode of Beyond Retirement. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. To check out the video interviews, please go to my YouTube channel at bit.ly forward slash beyond retirement. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash beyond retirement. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes.